0: Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. I am your host, Heather Stark, and as is typical, we cover the issues that affect a lot of women who have been abused and uh, who go through really difficult times, including child custody issues that are just horrendous. I have with me Cindy Dumas and her son, Damon Dumas. Welcome, Cindy and Damon. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having us.
1: Yes, thanks. It's, um, it's an honor that never gets old that anyone would <laughs> actually care to talk to me or listen to what I have to say. So, thank you.
0: Oh, and you have such important stuff to say. Well, Cindy and Damon have actually been on a show with me before. It's been a couple of years, I think. But the reason that I reached out to them this time is because Cindy did a PowerPoint that is just stunning. But first, let me give you a little bit more information about the two of them besides the fact that they've been on the show before. Cindy has a biology degree from UC Santa Cruz, and then she traveled around the world on sailboats. Uh, she settled in Hawaii, and she was very active in the outdoors. And uh, then she eventually moved back to the mainland with her three sons and worked on her uh, doctorate in health psychology. But when her youngest son, Damon, who is with us, uh, disclosed sexual abuse by his father when he was six years old, she entered the nightmare of family court. And Damon, of course, is the young man who is now an adult who spent his childhood basically hiding from the family court system and um, fighting uh, for emancipation from his abusive father's control when he was age 16. So it's quite a dramatic story and one that unfortunately is not unique. So with that background, Cindy and Damon both are very familiar with some of the difficulties in family court. Damon, if we're talking only family court, not particularly uh, individual experiences etc what do you see as the hardest thing about family courts when it comes to situations where there's abuse uh
1: the hardest thing um hmm. i'm not quite sure what you mean by the hardest thing the thing that they're doing the worst the hardest part of the experience to get through or
0: any of those any of, all <laughs> okay. of those yeah yeah um I, I, well, guess the I reason I'm that, is, yeah, I guess the reason that I'm asking you that is for so many women. And I've heard this question myself is, oh, you're being abused or, oh, your child is hurt. Take him to court. Like somehow or other, that's going to be the panacea, that that's going to be the soul of justice. And that will solve your problems. And we know that that's not the case. So, yeah, what? Yeah, right.
1: Well, the thing is that that advice should be good advice. We should live in a society where when someone tells you, hey, uh, my child is being abused, the answer should be to go to court. That is what we decided as a society was going to be the way that we would right these wrongs when they occur. Um, Unfortunately, as... uh, I'm sure no one will be surprised by. Um, That is not what's happening right now. Um, And so when we're talking about the hardest part, the hardest part really is just the worst cases because this is something that the Women's Coalition takes somewhat of a different tack on than um, some of the other organizations that are also of the mind that the family court system is a total and utter wreck is that we are understanding. This as something systemic where even in cases that aren't abuse cases, the family court system still through its entrenched gender biases is being an unfair, unjust system. But the problem is that it gets worse and worse as the, abuse gets worse and worse as the decision to send a child to a father gets worse and worse. What the court actually does, which is send children to fathers ends up getting worse and worse. So um, I'm not even the farthest on the spectrum there. My father was uh, sexually abusive and he threatened to kill me. And, you know, it, it was a bad situation, but uh, it's not the worst situation I've heard of. And unfortunately, when you get worse situations, they don't play out any better in the court system. It's not that there's this certain point where it's like, oh, well, you know, that's real abuse. So we'll listen to the kid now. That never happens. There's actually no line to cross there. It only gets worse and worse into infinity.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think you have a very good point, which is nobody listens to the kids. You know, I mean, I've seen movies where there's a big dramatic moment and moment of revelation for the judge because he talks to the the children and gets a real – garbage. That does not happen. Um, The children in our family court system are kind of treated like uh, the the family furniture. It's like, uh, okay, who's going to take possession? You don't expect the the lounge chair to uh, testify. As to where it, sh- whose house it should end up in, and uh, that's my impression uh, of uh, family court. Do you agree with that?
1: Um, I mean, there is definitely a bias against the court's um, de jure purpose to do what's in the best interest of the child, and there is a certain leaning towards treating children like property. Um, And this is something that I think is most insidious when you look at a concept like parental rights. So there are a lot of people who think that a good way to make the system more accountable or better than the way it's currently working, which is to say better than a complete garbage fire clown circus, is to focus on parental rights to say oh well if you take my kids away from me you're actually not doing something about the kid you're instead me as a parent you are breaking my rights you are defying my rights but the problem is that framing is already what's going on like what you're talking about Uh, the parents really are the litigants here And their rights are the things that judges care about. And the best interests of the child and the right of the child gets subsumed by that sometimes. Now, I don't think that that's the root cause of why this is all going very poorly, but it's definitely an exacerbating ideology here.
0: Okay, I'm going to get back to you on that root cause as you see it, but first I'm going to talk with Cindy. Mm-hmm. Cindy, you obviously were a huge part in uh, this whole scenario, and you've, to your, your credit, you've continued to work in this field helping other people who have survived such uh, trauma um, uh, because of court actions and child custody. Do you have anything to add to what your son had to say about the, the egregiousness of the court situation?
2: um no he's he's right i mean this is so terrible what's going on with the kids and it's being misportrayed sometimes as a parental rights issue which it really is not um it and he rightly says that it's a systemic issue which it is and so what we're doing at the women's coalition is trying to get uh women and the public to understand that this is being caused by systemic male entitlement. In other words, um, the system is designed to empower and entitle fathers. And so, like Damon said, whether they're abusive or not, the fathers are most likely going to get what they want because the system is designed that way. So if we can get people to understand that that is the core cause, then we can begin to... Um, do some effective activism for um, effective solutions.
0: Well, gosh, Cindy, surely you must be wrong, because all I have to Google is uh, child custody and father's rights, and I'm told how the courts are absolutely bending over backwards in favor of mothers, and they are prejudiced against fathers. So are you sure you're understanding what you're saying to me? (laughs)
2: Yes, isn't that one of the main false narratives that are out there? Now, that false narrative has been out there ever since women got the power to divorce men and live independently without uh, being impoverished, right? The minute uh, women got that power, men organized politically, and one of the things they did was uh, start the fathers' rights groups, and then the fathers' rights groups put out all these false narratives and and really conditioned society to believe that's what was happening. And uh, women did not understand this as a political issue, and still, unfortunately, do not. That's one of the things that we are trying to do at the Women's Coalition. Um, but one of the one of the main forms of activism that we are going to engage in is getting the truth out on the one hand and on the other hand, dispel all the false narratives that are out there. And so you picked one that I call disinformation because it's deliberately being put out there. And then there's other false narratives um, that are being put out there unwittingly. They're being spread by well-intentioned activists so anyway, we can talk more about those if you want. But yes, that, that sure. one is actually kind of old. The, the I think people are finally understanding that men aren't really um, discriminated against in family court. And that's one of the reasons that fathers' rights groups branched out into what I call the gender-neutral family court reform groups. And there's a ton of those. And so they, they've kind of taken over both The fathers are being discriminated against, and also it's gender-neutral corruption. And so by doing that, they just kind of squirt ink into the water and confuse everything so much that women don't know what's going on, and so they can't fight effectively.
0: Well, and it's not just that women don't know what's going on so they can fight. It's that the powers that be start, they can't seem to distinguish and discriminate between legitimate research and research that's couched in legitimate, legitimate terminology, uh, if that makes sense. Well actually, that
2: well, actually, it's not that they can't, uh, in my opinion, it's not that they can't discriminate between the good research and the bad research. It's that they are using the research that um, goes with the agenda to keep men entitled, so that if there is research that doesn't fit with that agenda, they just won't pay attention to it. So this is not something that is going on because there isn't enough research or the right research or, you know, judges don't understand that giving children to this particular father is not in their best interest. They do. They know that. But they're doing it anyway because that is what is expected of them. And so, yeah. So anyway, I don't think it is by accident.
0: So you see this as kind of a, public, a power thing, uh, starting with the systematic uh, patriarchy that we have and continuing into the, the courts where the judges are buying into that. Is, am I phrasing that correctly? Well, it's
2: definitely a power thing. It's, it's not essentially an issue about abuse. It's an issue about the power disparity between men and women in the family. So women have done a great job of getting power outside the family, but they have not focused yet on inside the family because, you know, apparently uh, most women don't know this is going on. But uh, yes, it is definitely an issue of power, not so much that um, it's coming through family courts just sort of by accident, but that Uh, It is an extension. When when men lost the power to completely control women, they created a system that would extend their power over their women and children to after divorce so that when a woman would leave them, that they would still retain power and control over their ex-wives or ex-partners. And so it was, it's designed that way. This is no accident.
0: Yeah. And I certainly appreciate what you're saying, but I also understand, and I I tend to stay away from words like, you know, the patriarchy and things like that because I find that it, it just turns people off. And if it turns them off, they're going to stop listening to your message. So even though I may not agree or may not disagree with you on that, I tend to use different words when we're having these kinds of conversations. I admire you for calling it like it is, but I tend to shy away from some of those words. What I see as the systemic problem in the courts and, and you know, yeah, patriarchy, yeah, hello. But to me, it's somewhere along the line, These I attribute some of these judges' behaviors to this propaganda that women get the benefit when it comes to child custody the courts lean over backwards to to women that's the understanding of certain local groups <clears throat> therefore judges do not want to do anything that would look like they are doing that and so the, instead they go the other way they bend over backwards to give custody, give leeway to uh, abusers and, and, you know, the, the fathers, that's how I see it. Am I full of hot air here or?
2: Well, I wouldn't say full of hot air. I I would say that I think that it isn't quite correct that, 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 that is the reason the judges are doing that. The reason that the judges are doing that is simply because they want to empower the fathers it's sim- it's more simple than anything, and people keep attributing this to other things like like how you are attributing it to that I call, uh not necessarily that, but there's a whole bunch of things that it gets attributed to, and I call them the rabbit holes of the movement because people go down no, these I rabbit holes <laughs> yeah you're in a rabbit hole. <laughs> And Yeah, but it's yeah. not your fault because, you know, even this, your, your idea of staying away from calling it patriarchy, where do you think that comes from? That is a deliberate conditioning of the populace by the power elite to get us to not identify this as a women's movement. And so uh, women are intimidated by it. And a lot of the protective parent movement, that's the reason it's called the protective parent movement, because they're afraid nobody's going to listen to them if they say this is a gendered issue. And so we need to get Mm -hmm. beyond that intimidation that and that conditioning that they have done and not be shy about saying this stems from patriarchy and say this is a residual result of patriarchy control and that the only way we're going to stop it is by dealing with it that way. And the only way to deal with it that way is to unite as women, right? So it's no accident again that they are getting people to not want to say what it is, that it's a gendered issue, because they know that's the one thing that can stop them from taking our kids. And
1: well, I if I could chime good. in.
0: Yeah.
1: Go okay.
2: Ahead.
1: Sorry. I don't mean to be ganging up on you here. I know this is a two on one situation, but hopefully you can, remember what my mom said, because that's all very important, and it's definitely something we should go into. But I briefly want to just address the idea that judges are doing this as a way of trying to counterbalance the belief from the public that they're biased toward women, and so they really don't want to appear biased toward women, so then what they're doing is Uh, giving children to fathers, which is what I had read off of what you had said. So if that's not quite your argument, then correct me. But Mm -hmm. the way that I heard that was essentially that judges are doing this for PR. They're worried that the public is going to come and see what they're doing and accuse them of being biased towards mothers. But I think that maybe one of the best reasons why that's probably not the case is because it's pretty clear in at least a lot of these cases, maybe not all of them, but in a very good number of these cases, mine included, the judge looks terrible. So if the judge was actually trying to do what looked best, in a lot of these cases protecting the kids is what would look best to the public if the public was in there. Um, And these aren't situations where if the public was in the room, they would say, oh, wow, you know, you gave the kid to the mom when the kid was saying he was being abused by the dad. This means that you're biased towards mothers. I'm now going to not elect you as a judge. It's actually the opposite, uh, that if the public was actually in these courtrooms seeing these cases, I think the public would almost all of the time say, that kid's being abused. You can't give that kid to the father. Please don't give that kid to the father.
0: Well, you and I know that, but the thing is, is that we don't have public attendance in family courts, and more and more really? judges in family courts are shutting them down to any observations, to any third parties. I mean, I've talked to moms who were told their friends couldn't come in with them to give them to support during their, their, their hearings or uh, trials, and I, it, so they're keeping that Well, again, I'm making sweeping generalization here. So it appears that um, it's not necessarily as and, and I think you're making a good point here to my to my point. I think that maybe the judges and what I'm saying about them becoming biased toward fathers in an effort to make sure they're not biased against mothers. Maybe that's more of an internal thing that they're doing for themselves so they can congratulate themselves and tell themselves that they're absolutely un- unbiased and impartial rather than more of a public thing. I, I don't know. And I'm sure it depends on case by case. But I do think that there right. is a factor of that in there. I went through uh, our local county training for Guardian Ad litem and was. And we have, I, have a, I live in a county that is very knowledgeable and very good with domestic violence issues. And I was shocked at the, some of the instruction um, that the guardians ad litem in training were getting regarding abuse cases and custody cases. Um, they were being instructed that you have to look at the, both the father and the mother as, uh, you know, each one has, is, is 50-50, just as likely, just as good, just as – and I'm going, wait a minute, have you seen the studies? where most the majority of cases that actually make it to court, make it to trial are cases where things have been very abusive. How can you start out assuming that everything is 50, 50 there? And yet they do. So that's where I'm going from, you know, and coming up with that, 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 mm. so again, you can throw a you can throw a bo- bucket of water on me, Damon. I'm here to learn. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, uh, that's, not necessarily what I was trying to do. And and I do think that something we have a lot of confirmation of at this point is that a lot of this is being baked into uh, the trainings that different court officials go through. So that that's oh, something yeah. that seems pretty clear at this point is that whatever the original source of this is, One of the ways that this is being propagated is through biased trainings like what you're describing. That seems like a a fact that I think we can all agree on at this point.
0: Okay. I
2: think so too. Uh, Well, Um, we can all agree that that is taking place. But on the other hand, if you get rid of that biased training, it's not going to get rid of the problem. That is another way. It's another tactic in order to make cases go the way they want, which is towards the fathers, steering it to the fathers. And that whole 50-50 thing is a, the father's rights movement's main agenda, because that gives them more power and it, gives them, it gets them out of child support. And so you have mm-hmm. the father's rights agenda uh, really enmeshed in the whole systemic training thing. And um, so that's why you're seeing that kind of training. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. I I totally agree with you there. Cindy, let's move on a little bit to your PowerPoint. It was a very, when I saw your PowerPoint that you did, I was very impressed with it. I will tell you that it has not come through for me. So I'm going to be kind of going by the seat of my pants here as we're talking. But I looked through that and that's when I reached out to you because I want to talk specifically about the points in your PowerPoint why did you put that together when did you put it together and what are can you kind of walk us through it oh
2: that's been brewing in my head for many many years and i have finally got done (laughs) so i like i have this thing where i like to get to the core of the problem i like to look at big pictures and i like to find the core of what's going on so that you're kind of like wading through all of the stuff that's out there, and you're making sense of it. So when I finally made sense of it, I thought, how can I help other people make sense of this? And so that was what came out of that effort. So did you find that it helped you understand it or um, any particular part you want to talk about?
0: Uh, No, I would like to just do a little walkthrough for our listeners, and obviously they don't have it in front of them, but they can go to your website and and see it, and we'll give instructions for that later. But just kind of walk me through it. What what are the points that you included in that?
2: Okay. Well, um, the goal of the PowerPoint was to get people to understand what was the true cause of the crisis, because people have all these different ideas about What is the crisis? What is going on in family court? What is the nature of the crisis? And then to introduce what I think is the solution to the crisis and and then to gather troops to form a powerful coalition. Because uh, my idea is that unless we form a coalition that is really powerful, we are not going to be able to stop them from taking our children. So I made the PowerPoint in four sections, and that the first section is what the custody crisis actually is, how judges, and then the second part was how judges are actually able to routinely give children to fathers who shouldn't have custody. And then the third section was going, uh, was talking about why this is happening, and then the fourth Uh, section was the solution that we're proposing. So in a nutshell, I'll just say the what. The what is that. Custody is being taken away from good primary nurturing mothers, and custody is being given to controlling and abusive fathers, uh, and also fathers who want to get out of child support. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: Okay. Have you seen, uh, well, one of the things that you talked about uh, in the the slideshow is why it is happening and how we can end it. We've kind of discussed a little bit about the why, but what do you see as the solution to this? Okay,
2: well, yeah, let me go over a little bit about how it's happening because I think that's important to understand. Uh, the solution so when you have a pattern you know there's a systemic problem right and there's a pattern that goes on all over um, the nation and the world and that is that judges are appointing uh, evaluators and minors councils who steer the case to the father abuse evidence of abuse is being ignored mothers are being called liars alienators and mentally ill and um, And CPS and the police often aid and abet judges in their efforts to switch custody to fathers. And they're also gag ordering and sealing records, which keeps the custody crisis under wraps, which is what you referred to, too. They're not even allowing people in there a lot of times um, because they don't want the public to know this is going up. That covers up their wrongdoing. So you can see it's kind of a cover-up. Anyway, the um, I also went over the history of male control, which I think is really important to give this context, this whole issue, because we tend to look at things in the present time or just, you know, maybe a few years before, a few decades before. But the history of male control actually goes uh, pre-human species. Um, it is a male control versus female resistance that has been going on, like, Forever, and it harkens back to um, a conflict of interest, a conflict of sexual and reproductive interest between males and females. So that it benefits males to be able to control females' sexuality and reproduction, and it benefits females to be able to resist that control. So this tug of war has been going on forever. And in early humans, women actually were able to resist that control by forming alliances. And then when patriarchy began, uh, those they were not able to form alliances. And so men took complete control. And that has been going on for 10,000 years until recently when women got the financial um, power to leave men. And that's when this whole thing switched from them having full control legally to now women have an equal right to custody. But. They created a system where that does not work, where they can still take our kids if they want it. So I think having that context for it shows that this is not just something that sprouted up in the last few decades. This has been going on for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I absolutely agree with you. I think that uh, I, I enjoy reading about uh, the history of women's rights in this country and during the American Revolution and during certain times in our periods, uh, in, the, in our uh, eras uh, that we've gone through. Uh, women have had more rights than others. Um, sometimes, I mean, women in my state were voting way before the, the amendment that allowed women to vote. They got to vote when we were a territory, but then all of a sudden, as men became more powerful and economics reared its ugly head, suddenly that was taken away. And I know that, for example, in the settlement of the West, the reason so many women went West was not necessarily because they were dying to move away from, you know, the civilization that they were were experiencing that because men didn't have the right to force the woman to move with him to to go out there, however, he owned the kids, so she mm-hmm. could say if she wanted if the kids were going to go with him, well, how many women aren't going to leave their let their children go and and stay there so there have been different eras when women have had more rights than others. This particular issue, I think you uh, have absolutely pinpointed it. As soon as women started getting economic and uh, some legal equity, that's when this started to become an issue. Men didn't want, didn't used to want the children. When I was young, men never fought for custody. Men didn't want custody. I, they, mm-hmm. you know, I, this is a, a new phenomenon. And from what I have seen, although I cannot quote you data because I haven't seen the research on it. It appears to me that most of the men who are fighting so so diligently for custody are using it because it's another form of control, but they're also using it because of the money. Am I seeing that one right, or are you gonna are you gonna rate on my
2: yeah, parade on that one too? Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. Money is just one form of control, right? They can control the money in the family. So that is just right. one of the control issues that they don't want to give up. They And they also control uh, the woman's ability to uh, support herself so that I can't tell you how many women have written to me and told me that they've been bankrupted by their ex. And a lot of it was done methodically. You know, they uh, they they take the woman to court and they use all her money they the court makes her think that she's got a chance to get custody and they wait till she spends all her money on all these attorneys who many of them sell the women out i can't tell you how much that happens where the woman's attorney just plays the game with them so once the woman is bankrupted then the real game begins then they have this thing where they Uh, Sometimes they'll have a trial and the woman doesn't even have an attorney for the trial or whatever. Not that it would make a difference. But anyway, once the woman is out of money, that takes away that power that that she had before. And so it's one way for them to punish them. It's another way for them to keep them disempowered. So, yeah, the money part is just one sub-issue of control the way I see it. (laughs)
0: My to my point of different, uh, you know, society, social conditions, etc., kind of sway many things uh, that we develop in our in our society and in our culture. And from my perspective, it seems to me that that was that women gaining some power triggered this um, need for these controlling men to go after custody. It was they didn't before women had the power, they didn't really care that much. Uh-huh. So what. What is the solution here? Damon, I'm going to jump to you because you've been quiet for a while. So what's Mm. what's the solution here?
1: So the solution is somewhat complicated. Uh, It is a bill that is encompassing multiple different areas because uh, the system is so ingrained as it is right now that we're, trying, we're proposing an entirely new system. So we're proposing getting away from all of the entrenched uh, systems within family court as it currently exists. And so just some of the headlines about different parts of the new system, which my mom can go into more detail about as well but um, juries are going to be in there. So a big problem that we have right now is that judges can really do whatever they want in family court. The appellate burden on them is incredibly high, so you can almost never overturn a family court uh, judge's ruling. And like we were talking about earlier, where if the public was actually in these courtrooms seeing the evidence, They wouldn't be siding with the father here, even their own, you know, trying to be anti-biased and say, oh, no, I believe that women are unfairly getting custody. So I'm going to try and not be biased towards the woman here. In most of these cases, that type of logic gets totally blown out of the water by the actual evidence of abuse. Um, So that's that's a big part of it is just getting the public into the courtroom as a jury to decide on whether the abuse is occurring. And if it, even if it's a case without abuse to decide who is the primary nurturer of the children. The second piece of this is about uh, investigations. And just to give a quick anecdote here that I think can summarize some of the, just how bad this is oftentimes. Uh, in my own case, and This is when I was a kid, so my mom technically has the first-person account of this, not me. But uh, in my own case, when it was time for the detective to gather evidence of my father sexually abusing me, she actually called him on the phone and asked him when it would be convenient for him for her to go to his house and try and gather evidence. (laughs) <laughs> she set up an appointment with the person who is being accused of a very serious crime. She didn't get a subpoena to go into the house to gather evidence. She asked him to come down to the station and then set up an appointment for her to go and grab the sheets. And since I oh, had reported, hey, Damon, that,
2: excuse me, Damon, Damon, can I stop you right there? Cause I don't want yes. that information going out. She never mm-hmm. dealt with, she never even talked about going to the house to get evidence she only called him on the phone told him what i told her you had said and asked him if he would like to come down to the police station for an interview she never talked about getting evidence ever so anyway just okay
1: so the anecdote so the is even is worse that than that my that generous that reading of it
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so the, point is, is the point is is that even from the beginning there was a definite um, prejudice, I guess, uh, in the case, in how this was can, uh, handled.
1: Prejudice is not maybe getting to the core of how systemic it was, because I think that it wasn't the detective going out of her way to be bad in this case. I think that at the base of how these cases are investigated and adjudicated is a system of routines that makes it so that every time they see a case like this, the proper protocol, in quotes, is to screw it up. And so that's why part of uh, the new system that we're proposing is about the front end here we're not just fixing how these things are being adjudicated. We're not just putting in new rules of evidence. We're not just putting in juries. We also need to fix how these things are being investigated from the beginning, because right now they're not being treated as crimes. They're not being treated as serious. They're being treated as, for lack of a better word, just allegations in a family court dispute the same way that if, uh, mother was like oh you know he doesn't feed the dog enough and then <laughs> the, you know they're treating it with that level of seriousness so we also are mandating uh that these are going to be investigated by multidisciplinary teams to start with so we're fixing how the evidence is gathered and then how the evidence is adjudicated uh, and of course it's much more complicated than that but that's sort of a top end look it's what our solution looks like.
0: Does does your solution include um, uh, public um, litigation of these cases? Are you an advocate of a jury trial, for example, in these cases? Because some people, are, yes. some experts are, are advocating that.
1: Yes. Yeah, I apologize. I um, thought I had mentioned that during my whole spiel, but yes, uh, that is we're definitely would like juries. And this is why I had gone on that uh, whole spiel about if the public was in there looking at the evidence, it would be pretty clear right. to them that this isn't an issue of being biased against the mom. Yeah. Uh, that, was, yeah. that whole spiel was me supporting the fact that uh, a jury trial is at minimum, at absolute minimum, it's going to take all of the really obvious cases because we all know one of these cases. I I think I would argue that my case is one of them, but my case isn't even the most obvious. There are so many cases with such blatant evidence, you know, just the burden of proof in family court is preponderance of evidence. That's not a very high burden at all. Uh, And there are so many cases, I'm sure you can name dozens, uh, where there's no way that a real person coming in off the street is going to look at that and say, no, there isn't a 50 percent likelihood that this is happening. This child doesn't deserve to be protected. So at minimum, jury trials are going to eliminate all of that. And I think that. Given the way that we've structured the system, where the jury is going to decide, even in cases without abuse, who is the primary nurturer of the child in order to give that person primary custody, I think it's going to be obvious to juries who's been doing the primary nurturing of the children. You know, most of the time that's the mother. But if it's the father, that's probably going to be obvious as well. So, uh, yes big proponent of jury trials. I think that so much of what happens in these cases would be so obviously wrong to just anyone walking in off the street.
2: And can I put something in there? The jury trial, can I just interject that the jury trial needs to be in, in a regular civil court. It cannot be in family court. We already have some states, well at least Texas, I don't know if there's any other states, but they have jury trials in family court and the judge still can override the jury and the, there still a, are a lot of problems um, having it within the family court system. You don't get rid of the court appointees and all kinds of other things that need to be done. So the cases need to be heard in a civil court. And we have to eliminate all those tactics that are being used in family court to steer the cases mm-hmm. to the father. And the other major reform that needs to be enacted is the best interest of the child needs to be defined and codified so that the jury is not there deciding, let's see what is in the best interest of this child. It it is already going to be law that it is in the best interest of the child to live primarily with their primary parent and the primary parent is the primary attachment figure or the primary nurturer. And um, if there is any abuse by either parent, then it is not in the best interest to uh, be with that child uh, unsupervised. And um, anyway, we go into the definitions more in the PowerPoint.
1: So, yeah, a important. uh, Okay, you can go ahead here. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. The other important thing that I, I see in in your um, in what you're calling for uh, for reform is that you want children to be able to testify. You want them to do that by closed circuit TV, but you want that testimony of the child to be heard in the trial. Is that correct? <sighs> not
2: really that was in one of our first drafts I'm not sure where you got that that was I might not have changed that on the website we what we really want is for the children okay yeah I need to change that because we we discussed that and first of all if that happens it'll only be with older children Um, mostly what we want is what Damon was talking about is part of the um, the good investigation, whether it is for abuse or for custody, is that children are brought to a um, child-friendly place where there is a forensic interviewer, somebody who is trained in child psychology and forensic interviewing, and they question the child, they interview the child on videotape. That forensic interviewer does not make any recommendations. That videotape goes straight to the jury. So the jury can hear firsthand what the children are saying, what they, you know, about any, any of the parenting that has gone on, you know, just the regular kind of evaluations, questions you have. And if there's abuse, the forensic evaluators are trained in questioning about abuse. So that goes to, straight to the jury and the judge cannot keep that out of evidence because that what, that's what happened in our case too. The judge would not allow Damon's um, forensic interview to even come into court. So um, that is the most important part for the children. And we believe that even in older children, if they are interviewed properly, they can get a lot out um, in that forensic interview. And that way they don't have to be put on the spot court trial where it's kind of difficult for children. And also, be, a lot of times the abusive fathers have, will um, threaten the children. And so sometimes the testimony of the children is really not um, valid because of the threats that the father will give to the children.
0: So also in your list of uh, characteristics of child custody courts, you mentioned that you don't want um, any court-appointed evaluators, uh, children's attorneys, uh, sometimes called JLs, mediators, psychologists, you don't want any of that stuff to come into play. You do, however, want the forensic interviewers, uh, if possible and in certain circumstances, what is the difference? Why why the forensic interviewers, but not the evaluators, GALS, mediators, psychologists, etc.? Can you explain the difference?
2: Oh yes. Yeah. Um, well, the all of the other ones that you talked about, they can they make recommendations to the court. They make uh, uh, reports. They steer the cases. With a forensic interviewer, they are not able to steer the case. They must um, conduct. A best um, evidence, uh, what do you call the? Uh, there's a term for it. Where it is the best? Oh, best practices. They have to do a best practices forensic interview, and they will be um, held liable if they don't. Right? They can be sued if they don't do a proper forensic interview on videotape, and then they are not allowed to make any recommendations and see that's another thing that happened in in our case was that the uh the forensic interviewer that we had tried to steer the case in her report shortly after she did that they made a rule in san diego where you can't do that anymore but anyway it is it will be part of our system that the forensic interviewer cannot steer the case there is no way they can do it they just hand that videotape straight to the court and it goes straight to the jury. So nobody is recommending anything. Does that make yeah. sense?
1: So The issue right now here isn't so much that uh, children shouldn't have psychologists. That's not the tack we're taking. We're just worried that the way it's functioning right now is that the psychologist is being appointed by the court and then is making recommendations to the same court that appointed the psychologist about what happens with the kid. And so that's creating a system where the psychologists are often steering these cases in uh, wrong directions that aren't really being supported by the evidence. They're just the opinion of the psychologist. So. We're not against getting kids to psychologists. We just don't think that they should be steering the cases the way that they currently are.
0: Okay. The other uh, component that you have listed is that no social services would be involved until and unless the jury finds that both parents were abusive. What's the thinking behind that?
2: That is actually um, that Child Protective Services is a dependency court, or they work with dependency court. Dependency court means cases where the children may need to go into foster care because they're being abused in their home in general. And um, so they do not need to be involved if there is a safe parent in the family, and they should not be able to take children until they can prove that there is not a safe parent in the family. And so we have a tremendous problem with CPS steering cases to the father and covering up abuse. They did that in our case. Um, They do that in a lot of cases. So they need to stay with their original function, which is to have cases where both parents are abusive, or if it's a single parent, if that parent is abusive, then it's a foster care issue. It's not a custody issue. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: And if I could chime in here for a second, again, uh, another part of what social services is doing right now, which here in California is child protective services, is that they're being expected to be the investigators of this, Um, but they don't actually have any investigative power. So we had a, and my mom can correct me on this anecdote if I'm getting it mildly wrong again, but Uh, We had a child protective services worker in our case who actually had to close her investigation, quote unquote, investigation of whether I was being abused because my father refused to talk to her. He just said, No, I don't want to talk to you. And CPS can't actually do anything about this. CPS can't get subpoenas. CPS is not qualified to be doing investigations. And yet, when CPS comes back with a finding of Uh, you know, that they couldn't prove the abuse that's being treated as if there was a proper investigation done. So that's the other part that we're taking out of CPS's hands and putting into the hands of actually qualified professionals or multidisciplinary
0: team. So this approach, and I know there are other experts around the country and advocates around the country who are definitely in favor of jury trials and many of the points that you've made. So you're not alone on advocating many of these things. But nevertheless, uh, you, you are advocating your particular position. What are you doing to promote this? I know you've uh, obviously developed the Women's Coalition, but what else? What, what are you doing to try and make this a reality?
2: Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Okay, so I've mostly been doing uh, social media for the last five years, raising awareness on Facebook mostly. And we have 26,000 followers and we have 5,000 email subscribers, so we have a pretty good base. Um, and now, what I'm doing is we're uh, starting local coalitions so that we will have feet on the ground, so that we will have women in every county, in every state, in every country around the world who are raising awareness about this crisis who are gathering troops so that we can form a powerful coalition, powerful enough to demand a new system, and uh, and the local coalitions will be doing uh, local activism, but they will be all linked together with all the other activists around the world um, to show that this is a worldwide problem and we can help each other out. Like if there's a high profile case, I don't know if you heard about the high profile case in New York where, The poor child was put in the garage overnight and froze to death, and um, he had been given full custody, and there was a ton of evidence he was very abusive. So it became a national and even international story. Now, if we had some feet on the ground there as the Women's Coalition, we could have gone to the reporters and told them the real reason this happened to this child rather than all of the other Activists and organizations that went out there and gave the media the wrong information on why this is happening And so it is part of our raising awareness and gathering troops and organizing to ultimately uh, descend upon our legislators and uh, demand that they uh, You know uh, get legislation for this new system which by the way is called the Child Custody Act. I don't think that came out there, but um, our Mm -hmm. new system that we have drafted legislation for is called the Child Custody Act, and AKA Damon's Act. And Mm -hmm. um, so what we want to do is be such a powerful coalition that we go into the legislators and they know that uh, the, the constituency that is asking for this is women, right? all women are affected by this. So that is a huge constituency and a very powerful one to get them to help us. Right now they are not helping us because we don't have a powerful enough coalition that's going in there and identifying this crisis as a gendered crisis. So that is what we're doing. I'm really excited about these local coalitions. I have already, we we have suspended the coalitions while the coronavirus is in its, awful, horrific stage right now. So everybody just stays safe and stays home. Um, we, we have local coalitions already organized in many states, about 15 states and many countries, the UK, South Africa, Europe. So we are uh, getting very active right now. And I hope Great. your listeners will, if they want to join a coalition, go to our Website, which is women'scoalitioninternational.org, and let us
0: know. OK, And there's a join button right there. Damon, what's down the road for you? What work are you going to continue with? How are you going to channel your energies?
1: Uh, so right now, um, let's see it is Friday. I just graduated uh, university on Sunday. So I just put in my honors thesis for I'm graduating UCLA now uh, with a double major. And that just happened on Sunday. So at least for the time being, I'm focusing on trying to find a job. The economy's fortunately doing really well right now. Um, in terms of activism, uh, like I've been doing, Uh, Over the past, about as long as I've been doing activism here, I'm going to continue supporting the Women's Coalition. A lot of that is doing interviews like this as the communications director. Uh, It's going to mean reaching out to local coalitions. My mom and I will often, at least for places where we can afford the gas money, We will (laughs) drive up and organize meetings for local coalitions uh, where we can. So that's mostly what this looks like on my front right now, is exactly what we're doing right now.
0: Well, congratulations on your new shiny degrees, and I, I wish you great luck in your field. Cindy? Damon, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you for discussing what the Women's Coalition is doing. Thank you for telling us about your PowerPoint. Again, the website that we can go to, the listeners and I, uh, to learn more is womenscoalitioninternational.org. What you're advocating is called Damon's Law, and um, it makes sense. And I think anybody who's facing this issue, anybody who knows somebody who's facing this issue, it behooves us all to understand what's going on with family courts because it is a huge and growing situation crisis, I would say. So thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Damon. Okay. And I hope you, I hope you come back and join us again down the road. And thank you for listening to three women. Three okay. Wives. Thank you so
2: much for have, for having us.